Hey, good morning, everyone, and happy Mother's Day. We're so thankful for all you moms that are with us today, both in the sanctuary and in the gym and online. We just pray the Lord would bless you and give you a great day and just remind you of how important you are in the lives of your families. You know, this day not only reminds us of the importance of moms, but of all of our children as well. I'm excited about the parent-child dedication time that will be taking place in this service. At Concord, we love seeing families grow in Jesus. One of our most important ministries to families each year is Vacation Bible School. And this year, we're excited about our theme, Destination Dig, Unearthing the Truth About Jesus. This year, our VBS will take place June 21st through June 25th, and we'll be meeting in the evenings from 6 to 8.30. Pastor Evan and our incredible VBS directors, Kayla Guffey and Morgan O'Brien, are working hard to get us ready to provide a wonderful opportunity for outreach and growth for our kids. But listen, we really need your help this year to make Bible school a success. Usually, our Bible school comes early in June, right when school gets out. But due to the late summer break, we're having to move the school out to this later date. And this move is keeping some from volunteering who usually are able to work. And so in short, we need more of you to step up and uh, help us so that we do not have to put limitations on attendance. Perhaps you've worked in Bible school in other places before you came to Concord, or you used to volunteer here, but have not in a long time. Let me just invite you and encourage you to step up to the plate and help our children's ministry this year as we continue to try to get back to normal. Some of you who work uh, in the day and are not usually able to volunteer, perhaps you can come at night and help. God is doing such a great work in our children's ministry. Six were baptized recently. We have tons of new families coming to visit with a lot of great children ready to learn. Just this morning, you'll see nine families being a part of our parent-child dedication. And so if you can help, please send Pastor Evan an email to uh, edixon at concordbaptist.com or call the church office at 225-4621 and let Pastor Evan and Morgan and Kayla know you're ready and willing to volunteer. Please be in prayer for Vacation Bible School as well. It's going to be an incredible week. Well, it's, uh, oh, okay, good, good. Much better, much better. All right, um, so VBS, if you want to help, just let us know. Switch tonight because it's hard to get volunteers during the day, okay? So back to our great young families. Now, today's family dedication is going to look a little different. And it's going to look a little different because we had a family this past year that officially became adopted as part of this family. And so it is a little different than normal family dedication because a lot of times you just see just babies up here. But the family unit is not just children. Sometimes we have an amazing, if you want to talk to the Clevelands about this, I'm sure they would love to talk with you about adoption and what these kids mean to them because they are an awesome family. And so we thank you all for participating uh, now that they are officially part of the Cleveland family for today. So what I'd like to ask is all of our families just to come up and start making your way up here. And you can, we're going to start alphabetical order over here, the barns over here all the way down to the Vaughns. That would be great. 
And if y'all could just stand up where everyone can see you. These families have watched a video, and in that video I explained to them that our goal here at Concord is to come alongside them as they raise their kids. Um, parents, as we know, are the primary disciple people of the family. We are the ones who just help them to giving them the tools. And so it has been great for them to watch the video. I know some of them are overwhelmed by their first child. Some of them, um, this is way old hat and simple for them. And they, they will help the ones who are perhaps in the first boat. So I'm going to turn it over to Dr. Cox, and he's going to share just a little bit more. Thank you, Evan. And uh, this is always an exciting and fun time just to see a bit of what God is doing in our children's ministry in our church. And as these parents come to stand before you today, we know that uh, what they're doing has nothing to do with uh, uh, salvation in the sense of... Uh, there's no sacrament in this, no grace in this in any way. It's simply a way of the parents to say they're making a public dedication to raise their children uh, in a Christian home. And they're also um, asking you for your prayers and your support and encouragement for them as they do that. And so in a few moments, they'll be making some commitments. And then at the end of that, I'm going to ask you to make a commitment as well as a church family here in relationship to uh, the covenant that they're entering into uh, today. So let me begin, if I can, uh, over on this side and introduce our families here with us today. First of all, we have Tate Barnes. He's the son of Andrew and Kimberly Barnes. He was born September 28, 2019. Of course, Pastor Andrew is our student pastor here. And uh, he, he, he doesn't talk about Tate much. Uh, we, once in a while, Tate comes out, but not, not a lot. Next to them, we have Wilson James Bingham. He is the son of James and Sarah Bingham. He was born August 11th, 2020. And then uh, the Cleveland family, and uh, you'll notice that the children are wearing uh, shirts uh, giving the, the date of their official adoption. So uh, we have uh, Amber Rose Cleveland, who's the daughter of Kathy and Pee Wee Cleveland. She was born June 2nd, 2007. Ashton Paul Cleveland, daughter of Kathy and Pee Wee Cleveland, born July 29th, 2010. Leda Bell Cleveland, daughter of Kathy and Pee Wee Cleveland, born October 26, 2012. And uh, Leah Renee Cleveland, uh, daughter of Kathy and Pee Wee Cleveland, born June 8, 2015. Then next we have Emma Ruth Hall. She is the daughter of John Michael and Michelle Hall, born January the 9th, 2020. And then we have brothers, twins. Uh, one's grinning at me here. We have Boone Arthur Jones son of Eddie and Anna Jones, born July 10th, 2020, and Colt Edward Jones, son of Eddie and Anna Jones, born July 10th, 2020. Next to them, we have Coker, uh, Coleman Coker LeMay, the son of Matthew and Christina LeMay, born June 13th, 2020. And then we next have Maverick McCarley, son of Stephen and Bailey McCarley, born February the 9th, 2021. Next to them, we have Collins Lee Rash, son of James and Mackenzie Rash, born March 22nd, 2020. And then finally, Harper Vaughn, uh, daughter of Aaron and uh, Kirsten Vaughn, born May the 8th, 2020. And I just want to tell you, if you go to pick up kids at this church after worship, it's like a sardine factory over there. Uh, so as we think about future building needs here, uh, we have a lot of them. So it's exciting uh, to be here with you guys and uh, 
We're excited to join in this time with you. So I'm going to ask if you all would just to turn and face me for a moment, and we're going to kind of walk through uh, this dedication that you received uh, to be prepared for and to think through the commitments you, you make. And I'll just ask you at the proper places uh, to respond from your heart uh, with uh, we do uh, in relationship to the commitments. It is a parent's privilege and duty to guide their child in such a way as to make the will of God the greatest ambition in his or her life. And to this task, these parents are called to consecrate themselves today. And to this end, you dedicate yourselves to raising your child in a Christian environment. So in accordance with the purpose for which you've come, I ask you to respond to the following covenant. Do you now present your child or your children before God in solemn dedication? Do you consecrate yourselves as parents to bring up your child in the nurture and admonition of the Lord? Do you promise to instruct him or her in the teachings of Jesus Christ and in the practice of prayer and to guide her or him in the development of a Christ-like character? Do you promise to try to the best of your ability to so shape your home life and the home life of your child both by family devotions and by your words and your example that he or she will at the proper age most naturally come to an open confession of Christ and into the fellowship and service of his church. And then, do you as members of this congregation acknowledge and accept the responsibility together with the parents of teaching and training these children that they being brought up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord that they can be led in due time to trust Christ as Savior and confessing Him as Lord in baptism be made a member of His church? If so, will you signify your acceptance of this responsibility by standing? I just want to say to you all, in as much as you promised before God in this day to dedicate your child and your children to the Lord and yourselves to the task of rearing your children for the Lord, I charge you to address yourselves faithfully to this sacred obligation with wisdom, patience, and devotion. And to this end, may the blessing of God rest upon you. And it's great to know we have friends who love us, brothers and sisters in Christ who pray for us, support us. And it's why the local church is so important. And I just want you to turn now and just see the wall of support that you have. And you have a whole lot more in the gym as well. So let's thank the Lord for that. So if I may, let me pray for us and for you all, and then we'll be seated. Father, we thank you for being our creator and for the gift of family and children. I thank you for each of these beautiful children before us today. And I pray, Lord, that you bless these parents. Give them every measure of mercy and grace as they raise them and teach them and lead them. Give them perseverance, endurance. Lord, power from on high to be, Lord, the parents you have called them to be. And help us, Lord, your church to play the part you want us to play. And, Lord, supporting them, encouraging them, teaching alongside of them. Lord, these precious children, we pray for every one of them that they would all, Lord, come to the point of trusting Jesus to be their Lord and their Savior and to receive the gift of eternal life that, uh, Lord, um, they might be with you and with us someday in glory. And, Father, we just pray that in this brief ceremony, uh, Lord, and their eyes resting upon this congregation, that, Lord, all of these parents would know they're loved, prayed for, 
and supported by this church, and we stand ready to help them, uh, God, in any way that we can. So we just commit them to you and this time to you, Lord, and just thank you again for this gift of family and being able to celebrate it together. In Jesus' name, amen. You all may be seated. Good morning. It is good to be in God's house. I, one thing I love about family dedication is you never know what's going to happen when you get a bunch of little kids up here, anything like that. But church, this is the future of our church right here, and it is good to see the future right here. So families, thank you. Now, I'm going to ask you to stand up once again as we begin our time of singing this morning. Let's sing together.
Well, as you've already heard, my name's Andrew, and it's my joy to be the student pastor here. Um, I'm surprised I didn't get a round of applause for such a cute lineup of kids this morning, right? Um, and I got the cackles because, as you know, and as Dr. Cox has said, I do talk about Kimberly and Tate a ton. And a quick little anecdote, we've taught him recently, and by we, I mean me. If you go up to Tate, and I encourage any of you to do it, he loves strangers, which we're gonna have to teach him not to love strangers, but we want him to love all people. Um, and you say, Tate, who is a handsome boy? He'll point to himself and say, me. So, um, so a quick little fun anecdote. So if you wanna have some fun, just say, Tate, who's a handsome boy? He'll say, me. Um, but I do have a couple announcements for us as we get going today. If you're a guest, if you're here, first off, happy Mother's Day. Um, I'm thankful for moms. Thankful as just singing through His Mercy is more, um, just in general, the thought process of the mercies of my mom, the mercies of my mother-in-law, and the mercies of my beautiful bride upon my life. Just something great to think about the Lord showing His mercy through um, mothers in general. Um, but if you're a guest, we'd love to connect with you. I know Dr. Cox would love to meet you. I'd love to meet you. Um, we have these in the back of all of our pews, uh, and there are also opportunities to share some prayer requests. If you have any, um, we'd love to be able to pray for you too, and you can drop these in in any of the buckets as you exit our worship center today. A um, Couple more quick announcements. Pastor Bill has a dinner coming up on May 21st at Anderson University. So not this upcoming Friday, but next Friday, the 21st of May. You can sign up online. You can call our church office, 225-4621, or you can email him or his wonderful assistant, Ms. Betty, too. Um, secondly, on June 2nd, we're going to be having a Q&A in our fellowship hall, as well as a dinner, beginning at 5 and going to 6, concerning um, the upcoming master building plan that was proposed for vote, which will be coming on June 6th. So the question and answer will be on June 2nd. If you have any questions, Dr. Cox presented this on April 18th for our entire church, just to look over what we've been doing um, this past two years, really, with um, our facilities and what's going forward, the next steps, um, as Dr. Cox is leading us into so graciously and so goodly. Um, with that. So if you have any questions, June 2nd, until Wednesday night in the fellowship hall, we'd love to have you. There's dinner provided as well. And then June 5th, June 5th, we're going to have at Anderson University a monstrous, massive church picnic. There's going to be basketball. There's going to be the pool is going to be open for you and your children. There's going to be volleyball. We're going to have food trucks come in and cater. Um, and so all we're asking, the food trucks are not of cost to any of our church members or anything like that. All we're asking is for you to possibly sign up online or call our church office, or you can email any one of our pastors as well. Um, and that's happening from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. on June 5th. That's a Saturday. And then we, on June 6th, are having our vote concerning that building presentation. Um, as you've been faithful, as you've continued to be faithful, as you have been so faithful, and we're thankful for, um, there's so many different opportunities to give. If you've been seeing the screens up front, there's different ways that you can continue to be faithful in giving. You can drop tithes and gifts in any of the buckets as you exit. You can even text the word CBC Give to 73256, and it'll run you through this prompt. Or you can give online at concordbaptist.com backslash give. 
Um, and you can drop off your gift to our office or mail it in as well. Um, as we get going today, I want to read one of my favorite Proverbs. Not the whole thing, just a few of the final verses. So Proverbs written primarily by King Solomon. And then we come to the last one, the last proverb. And it begins off with this name of a guy that really no one, no one knows where he reigned, a guy named Lemuel, and that he was a king. And we have this acrostic proverb. So it begins with a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And it was taught to him by his mom, it says. This proverb was taught to him by his mother. And he finishes off with these six beautiful verses of Proverbs chapter 31. It's the last proverb, Proverbs 31. And King Lemuel says, her mouth speaks wisdom and loving instruction is on her tongue. She watches over the activities of her household and is never idle. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also praises her. Many women have done noble deeds, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord will be praised. Give her the reward of her labor and let the works, let the, let her, the works of her praise her at the city gates. Um, I love, as we're getting ready to get into prayer, Dr. Cox's wife, Jerry Jo, she's going to come up and pray for us. Um, I'd love to bring her up as we pray. Come on up, Jerry Jo. You know it. As he said, I'm Jerry Jo Cox. I'm the pastor's wife and the mother of four beautiful children, two of which are with me today, the oldest and the youngest. And they have so graciously permitted me to serve in the nursery today, so I won't be sitting with them. But uh, we'll have the honor of taking care of your beautiful babies. And I just want to say real quick before I lead us in prayer, a word of thanks on behalf of this church body to all the mothers in the room and online watching. It is because of your faithfulness, your diligence to bring up your children in the admonition of the Lord. And so by doing so, furthering the kingdom of God, that we are blessed as a body. And so thank you for so faithfully serving as Christian mothers. Let's pray. Father, I come to you today on behalf of all the mothers in this sanctuary in the body of Christ at large and watching online today. Father, I pray a very special blessing on them. It is a sacred calling to be a mother, a wonderful privilege, a heavy responsibility, Father, as we are charged with the upbringing of our children and of their care of their souls. And Father, I know uh, for Christian mothers, the number one desire of our hearts is to be a part of and to see our children come to faith in Jesus Christ, your son. And so, Father, we pray for every child of every mother and grandmother present that you would bring them to salvation, Father, and to your kingdom, that we might have that joy of looking forward to being reunited with them in glory when our times come to pass on this earth. Father, I want to lift up to you each and every mother. We are all kinds of ladies. We are all kinds of people from all kinds of backgrounds. And I want to thank you for each one, the gift that they are. I thank you for their husbands and fathers that support them in the role of being a mother. We couldn't do it without them as the head of our home, leading us and guiding us. 
Father, I pray for the new mothers who are experiencing motherhood for the first time this Mother's Day. Oh, what a joy. I pray that you'll help them in this mothering task. It's overwhelming. I pray for the mothers who um, long to be in their hearts a mother, but yet have not been able to conceive and become a literal mother. And Father, I pray for them. Their hearts are hurting. And I pray you give them the desire of their hearts as you did Hannah in the Old Testament, Father. Bless them with children, I pray, and open their wombs. I pray for the mothers who have aborted their babies and um, who have to live with that grief. And I pray for mothers all over this land, but one that's on my heart right now that's considering very strongly abortion. I pray you change her heart, change her mind. I pray for those who are scarred as mothers because they were not brought up by godly mothers and loving, nourishing mothers, that you'd heal those scars and help them to be good mothers to their children. I pray for the mothers who have adopted or who are fostering children. Give them strength for that special and hard task. I pray for mothers who've lost their mother, some just recently. And Father, they're grieving today on Mother's Day in a way that they've never done before because of the loss of that connection with their mother. I pray for mothers who are dealing with prodigals, wayward children, children who are far from you, children who are breaking their hearts, children who are caught up in drug addictions or substance abuses or other kinds of bad choices, uh, maybe even, Father, have turned their backs on their parents. I pray that you bring them home, restore them to their relationship with their parents and with you most of all. And God, I pray for parents who are rejoicing this day, who are feeling like everything's going well and they're getting it right, and yet they're tired and they're weary, and I pray you give them strength to continue the task, those mothers who are juggling so many balls. And God, you know um, the needs of each mother present that I've not even um, brought up to you. You know, you know their hearts. I pray you meet those needs as they're sitting here right now or watching online thinking about their particular need. I pray a blessing upon them. Bless the family time around the table today. Bless the time that these people will have with their children. And I pray, God, that they will feel the love and reward and the fruit of their labor in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thank you, choir. Well, we've had a full service already, haven't we? It's been wonderful. And I just have a, hopefully a brief message, and you know that is a loose word for me, but I'm going to try to have a <laughs> brief message uh, today as we continue our series on uh, the matter of faith, talking about faith, living by faith. Father, bless now your word. Thank you for all that we've already experienced and felt, heard and thought. And thank you for your dear presence with us, Lord. And we just pray now that you would, uh, Lord, overshadow and help the preaching of your word to strengthen us today in the task to which you have called us. And we'll thank you for, Lord, your aid in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, parenting can be one of life's most rewarding experiences as we are reminded on this day as we honor mothers whom we cherish for their investment in our lives. Yet parenting can also be a very hard thing involving difficult choices related to truly loving our children and trusting God in the process. We're reminded of hard choices in parenting when we recall something called Operation Pied Piper that was conducted in September 1939. It took place in England shortly after the Nazis had invaded Poland and bombed it, beginning World War II proper, the British government began worrying about Germany seeking to invade their island. And they knew that the population centers like London would be targeted by bombing, and they knew the Nazis had no problem obliterating civilians. So the British government decided to take evasive action and preemptive action by getting civilians out of the urban centers in England into the countryside with the main focus being upon children. And so the government spent time surveying rural villages across England, Scotland, and Wales trying to see how many homes were available in which to put children. Larger estates were turned into nurseries for the very young and then the British government began trying to get people to volunteer to send their children to live in the country. Some of them had relatives where their children could go, but hundreds of thousands did not, and so they had to rely on volunteers and unknown strangers with whom to place their children. Think about if you were in that situation. It was a difficult time, and hard decisions had to be made, and yet many parents made the choice to participate, and so over four days in September of that year, 800,000 children were evacuated from England's cities. Each child was supplied with a gas mask, a ration of food, clothes, and a label pinned to their clothing stating who they were, where they were from, and where they were going. Remember, there were no computers to keep up with all of that at that time. I'm sure... Many tears were shed as we saw the mother kissing the child and these children put on that train. I'm sure many tears were shed on that day as they had to protect their children and have faith in the process to shield them from the effects of war. C.S. Lewis's book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, which perhaps you have read, finds its setting during this time of the evacuation. And so... That is how Lucy and Edmund and Susie and Peter got to Professor Diggory Kirk's large house in the countryside and then into Narnia through the wardrobe in his home. They were part of Operation Pied Piper. 
Well, this morning as we continue our series on the matter of faith in which we're going to focus upon living by faith today in parenting, we're going to look at this briefly. This message is the third in this series as we're devoting one message each to some important topics related to our walk of faith. The Bible says we're justified by faith. You get saved by faith. That's how you have eternal life is by putting your trust in Jesus and what he has done in God's word, his promise to save those who will turn to him. But the Bible also says that the just shall live by faith. We live out our faith and our trust in him. And so faith, as we have seen, is living in trust and confidence in God's character, acting upon his word, relying on him to bless us as we obey him, relying upon him to sustain us and to work out his perfect will in our lives as we live it out on the field of life. We walk by faith, trusting in him, his character, his word, his directives, that that's the way we're to live our lives in which we will grow and God will accomplish his greatest purposes in us. And so this morning, our texts are, there's three passages I want to read as we talk about faith and parenting. So if you have your Bibles, let's look at these very quickly. I invite you to read along with us. Ephesians 6, verse 4. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. And then in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, where Paul is writing to this church, talking about his ministry among them, he uses parenting here as an example. And so in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 7, he says, Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Down in verse 11 and 12, For you know that we dealt with each of you, as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory. And then the letter to Titus, where he is teaching, uh, telling older women to teach younger women. And he says in verse 3, likewise teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, and to be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. Now we could, as we have done in the past, devote a whole series to parenting, and we'll probably do that again in the future. But for today, I just want to remind us on this Mother's Day and parent-child dedication of some larger matters in parenting by which you can seek to apply your faith, areas in which to trust God, and the directives he has given in his word in relationship to parenting. And so first of all, if we're going to apply our faith and live by faith in parenting, we must commit ourselves to what is central in Scripture related to our calling. What does God put the emphasis on in our, in our parenting? And we must commit ourselves to that. Now in Scripture, we do not find a manual for parenting that addresses a wide variety of topics and situations. You're not going to find, you know, chapter and verse, here's everything you need to know about parenting in the Bible. It doesn't give us that kind of detail. And I think that is right and good and wise of the Lord because there are many different cultural variations in relationship to what challenges families face in any given time and place. And also because no two kids are quite alike. I've raised four 
and they have some similarities, but in some ways they're all very, very different in their approach to life, how they look at life, all those things. And so no two kids are alike. And furthermore, there are many matters of indifference that we may approach in our own way. And we, we find liberty to do that because there's no prescription to follow in the Bible. The Bible does not say you need to put this curfew on your kids at this time, right? The Bible doesn't say what you should do in relationship to your child and sometimes about dress as opposed to others or allowances or you know, what the tooth fairy is going to bring. I always, when kids put on Facebook or their parents or kids pulled their first tooth or whatever, I always respond that it's like a $25 tooth, but none of the parents ever agree with me on that. The tooth fairy should give them $25 for the, I'm an advocate for the kids for 25 bucks for the tooth. But that doesn't, you know, it's not a prescription in, in the Bible about that. But we do have some things, however, that are given to us as directives from God. And parenting by faith involves conscientiously seeking to apply those directives in our homes as we're raising our children. So in the Old Testament, in the law, you have the directions of the Shema, which was central there, and I will come back to that in a moment. You also have some, in the Bible some examples of, of poor uh, parenting that are called out, such as Eli is called out for not correcting his two horrible sons whom God killed in judgment. In the New Testament, there's not a lot of specific uh, instruction either, and we don't really read about families to any degree um, in relationship to the writers of the New Testament. Though it appears that Peter was married, we may assume some of the others were as well, and perhaps they had children, but we don't have any biological references about that. We do have Jesus' interactions briefly with his parents. Remember when he was at 12 and he was up at the temple and uh, they went back home and they realized he had not come with them. We have the references to Timothy's mother and grandmother and their instruction of him that we'll talk about in a moment. Philip is said to have had four daughters, but that's all it says and what they, they did in serving the Lord, but nothing about his home. But... In both the Old and New Testament, there is one common theme that God seems to hammer home to us. One common theme found regarding believers and their children, and that is that we are charged with the spiritual teaching of our children. That is the central task that we have is the spiritual teaching of our children. Yes, we're to take care of their physical needs, but the spiritual instruction of our children is our number one calling in our lives. And that cannot be delegated away. We must make that central ourselves. And in the window of time we have with them in our homes, then as children, we need to be acting in faith and obedience and seeking to teach them the truth about the Lord, about the gospel, and about his word. And so in the Old Testament, we see that summarized in the Shema in Deuteronomy chapter 6, a very famous passage of how the Jews taught their kids. Because, you know, you didn't have a Bible laying around your house. You'd go to a temple or synagogue, and the big scrolls would be brought out and unrolled. They'd read them there. And so a lot of it was oral teaching. And so in Deuteronomy chapter 6, beginning in verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. And listen to verse 7. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home. 
Notice when you're sitting at home, not at synagogue, when you're at home, you're talking about these things. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road that is just going through life and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. In the New Testament, in the passage we read in Ephesians, and we'll probably spend more time here than in any other place this morning if you want to turn back to Ephesians chapter 6. In Ephesians 6 verse 4, Paul is talking to parents, or fathers as the primary responsibility, but this is directed ultimately to moms and dads. When he says in Ephesians 6 4, fathers do not exasperate your children. Instead, listen, he says, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. That is a very pregnant statement. This is a wonderful statement. So what is he trying to say here about our central task? Well, the word that is translated bring them up is is one word, and it means to nourish or to feed. It was used previously in Ephesians to talk about nourishing our bodies. It could be referring to providing for physical and psychological and emotional needs. But others have seen in this, such as John Calvin, he translated this, let them be fondly cherished, and then listen, deal gently with them. Bring them up, the idea of nurture, care, gently dealing with them. William Hendrickson translated it, rear them tenderly. So the idea is that, that with the spirit of tenderness and gentleness, we are told there is a task to be done. And so he says, bring them up, nurture them, and then the task, training, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Training is in reference to discipline or correction. But as D. Martin Lloyd-Jones reminds us here about this idea of discipline, he says, when you are disciplining a child, you should have first controlled yourself. What right have you to say to your child that he needs discipline when you obviously need it yourself? Self-control, the control of temper, is an essential requisite in the control of others. And so there is this idea of nourish, bring them up tenderly, gently, and I'll come back to this in a moment. And then you are disciplining and self-control, teaching, right, wrong. Sometimes that's verbal, what you're teaching. And then you bring them up, it says, in the instruction of the Lord. And so instruction here is in reference again to teaching things. And so in the time frame again of the Jews, much of this was done verbally. For us, it would also include the idea of teaching the truth of God's word, teaching in the sphere of the Lord, bringing them up in the nurture of the Lord, teaching of the Lord. And so it's truly Christian teaching that we're to be focusing upon as parents, Christian teaching. And we see that Timothy, he grew up in a home like that. And I love Paul's reference. It's one of the few places in the New Testament we see anything about a home and somebody being taught in 2 Timothy. We read in chapter 1, verse 5, Paul's writing to Timothy, this young pastor he's left at Ephesus. And in 2 Timothy 1, 5, he says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived. Isn't that wonderful? He grew up in a home where he saw faith lived. And this faith lived in them, which first lived in your grandmother Lois, 
and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. They had a living faith, but they also had a teaching faith. If you go over to chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, he continues to talk to Timothy, and he says here, he says in verse 14 of 2 Timothy 3, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of. Now, Paul's taught him a lot, but Paul's not talking about Paul here and what he's taught Timothy, per se. Listen to what he says. As for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it. I think he's talking about his mother and his grandmother. Timothy's father was not a Christian. But his mother and his grandmother, they lived out their faith, and they focused on teaching him. Because he goes on to say, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Paul didn't meet Timothy when he was an infant. He didn't meet him until probably his late teen years. And so he's talking here to Timothy about the fact that you were raised with women who had sincere faith. And by the way, this is an encouragement to those of you who are single moms who don't have somebody working alongside of you, assisting you in this, right? Or single parents. And so he says, you grew up in a home where they lived it and they taught you in their life. And so that tells us, perhaps as we think about what Paul is writing in Ephesians, which is the church as well, to where Timothy would have been the leader, when he says, fathers, do not exasperate your children, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. He has perhaps the same thing in mind. So what is central in parenting by faith, then, is that in an atmosphere of love and tenderness, we are to verbally teach, model, and pass on as best we can to our children the truth of the gospel and God's word. You know, I remember growing up in a, a Christian home with parents who, when I was born in the early 1960, they were in their 30s, early 30s, and they were young believers. They had been saved in the late 50s. And um, neither of them had been able to finish high school. They married in their teens, and they had not been taught much about d- discipling a family. But over time, my parents grew. And I did come to see them in their lives studying God's Word. I knew they were people who prayed, even though we didn't have daily devotions. I encourage you to have those when your children are small. We didn't have that. But I knew my parents prayed. I saw them studying their Bible. We prayed at the dinner table. They did make sure that I was in a Bible class each week and that I was in worship. But above all, they modeled before me what it was to be a believer living by faith, trusting in God's Word. I saw how that affected what they did with the Lord's Day, how we spent Sundays. I saw it in how they used their money in supporting the Lord's work and helping others and being frugal to take care of our future needs. I I still have their giving record up in my credenza, their last quarter of their giving record and faithfully giving when they raised in four kids and had very little. I saw how we lived differently than many other people in our extended family. I saw them apply Scripture to hard situations in life, like when my dad had to forgive a longtime co-worker and a fellow believer who had done something hurtful and deceitful to him at work, and it was very hard. I remember my dad talking about it. I just can't believe my dad would say he would do something like that to me. But he applied the Scripture, and he forgave him. And continued that friendship down through the years. 
I saw it in my parents' faithfulness to each other and how they would process things through the grid of Scripture. And I remember those things about that home as though it were yesterday, and I'm marked by it, and your kids will be marked by it as well. And furthermore, because we're told to live our lives together in a Christian community, a local church in which we are to gather, grow, be taught, teach, love, and serve, the church should also become a central resource in helping you toward this goal of teaching as well. That's why you need a good, solid, Bible-believing, and teaching church. That is why we need to discipline ourselves to be involved and to have our children involved in those years there with us because those years pass very quickly. You know, if you count 18 years from bed baby age to graduating high school, you only have 936 Sundays to gather with them as a family under the Word of God on the Lord's Day. And just taking out the 25% that even committed people miss these days, it takes it down to about 700 days. That's not a lot of time. When compared to the rest of their days, the other six days of the week, over 18 years. Now, some churches like ours, and I'm glad we do this, we, we offer other things on other days, teaching formats, such as Awana, things of that nature. But if your children are not hearing your teaching and correction, watching your modeling when you're in your home and in your community, in addition to what we're seeking to teach and instill here at the church, the world will eat their lunch. For we live in a very hostile culture now to the gospel. So to parent by faith, one must embrace this task with more diligence, more diligence today than in previous generations for all the other supports that my parents enjoyed. They're not there anymore. They're just not there. And so I challenge you to embrace this with all of your heart, this idea of teaching. Then the second thing we see is that these big things we're talking about briefly here today is to commit to positive and consistent nurture. In the passage in Ephesians, before we come to the point of, about instruction, bring them up in the nurture and instruction and discipline of the Lord, before you get to that point, Paul in that passage has a word to the fathers about temperament toward their children in the home. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, he writes. Now, why does he write that? Well, in the world in which the church was birthed, the Roman father had complete power over his family and over his children. As a matter of fact, he could have a, his children killed if he wanted to, with impunity. And even the Jews spread throughout the Roman Empire. They can impose severe penalties on their children. The father had extensive power. But I want you to notice here how radical the New Testament is. This is a radical document. In what Paul writes here, he does not focus on the rights of parents. Rather, he focuses upon the responsibilities of the parents. His words, listen, are about restraint in parenting and about grace in parenting, not about rights and power. In the Roman world, it was all about the rights and the power of the Father. Paul addresses it differently. One new thing is you're bringing them up in the Lord, but the other thing is fathers do not exasperate your children. He is 
telling the dads to have restraint in their life. And further in addressing children and their responsibilities, because he tells children here to obey their parents, as he addresses children, people would not address children in the ancient world like this. They weren't seen as having any worth or meaning in that way. But by addressing them and telling them their responsibilities and then telling fathers to have restraint and not provoke them to anger, he's pointing the fact that children are true persons made in God's image themselves. And all of this was radical in a world in which these words were written. So the idea is that on the whole, in Christian homes, we should attempt to lead our children along a way that has a different tone than the tone felt by the world. And that's why I read that passage in 1 Thessalonians where Paul is talking to the church, but he says, I was like a father among you, encouraging, right? How he spoke to them, how he worked with them. 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 7 and verses 11 and 12. I read this week about a dad on trial in Milwaukee for murder because he got mad at his child for eating the rest of the cheesecake that the man had received earlier in the week for his birthday. So he went to get some of his cheesecake. It wasn't there and so he punched his little boy in the gut. I think he was about 11 years old. And then he slapped him in the head. And he left and came back. His wife called 911 and his, his child was dead. And while that is severe and tragic, an example of the loss of self-control, we, we can also deal blows to a heart and a mind with words and tone and thoughtlessness and inconsistency and hard-heartedness that leave scars in the spirits of our children. That is why Paul deals with this key matter when he says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children or provoke to anger your children. Instead, raise them with nurture, tenderness. One key Bible scholar commented on what Paul is teaching here by saying, Effectively, the Apostle Paul is ruling out excessively severe discipline, unreasonably harsh demands, abuse of authority, arbitrariness, unfairness. You know, children have strong senses and innate sense of justice. Constant nagging, ruling that out, constant condemnation, subjecting a child to humiliation and all forms of gross insensitivity to a child's needs and sensibilities. He went on to write, behind the curbing of a father's authority is the clear recognition that children, while they're expected to obey their parents and the Lord, are persons in their own right who are not to be manipulated, exploited, or crushed. Now, does this mean that there will not be stress? No, I've raised four. There is stress. Does this mean you will not have a strong-willed child that will challenge authority over and over again? No. That's why discipline of sorts and boundaries are necessary. That's why working together as a community of Christians, raising our children together is good so that we can pray for one another, seek counsel from one another, study with one another. Yet in the midst of all of that, we are to keep coming back to this idea that I want to try to strike a tone in my home that moves from anger and stress to self-control produced by the Spirit. In an atmosphere of tenderness and mercy and nurture, that is why as parents, we too are to be transparent to a degree when we get it wrong, in which we will. And in that, when we are willing then to ask for our child's forgiveness and keep seeking to lead our homes to being places of peace and love, moving us forward with as much joy and laughter as possible. Seek to enjoy this time of raising your children in the Lord and be devoted to this assignment with your whole heart. And remember centrally, 
to make sure the gospel is proclaimed and discussed in your home. All of our children, like all of us, will someday be facing judgment. Every one of us. And we need to seek to help them come to know Jesus and salvation and to escape the coming just wrath of God. That's why they need to be under the word of God regularly, hearing the word taught and preached and learning to worship the Lord among his people. Don't allow yourself to become spiritually lazy. Too much is at stake. And finally, in closing, let me just say this, the third thing, rest in God's sovereignty. We can trust him. He is a good and sovereign God. We must realize that no matter what we do, and we should be doing our best, you cannot guarantee outcomes. Our children have to make their own ultimate decisions about the gospel for which they alone are responsible. The Bible speaks of kids raised in Christian homes who become their parents' enemies over the faith. Do not misuse the verse, train up a child in the way they should go. In the end, they will not depart from it. So if you train them up the right way, they're all going to be Christians. That's not what the New Testament says. Not what the Bible says. It says a man's enemies will be those of his own household. Jesus put it this way about the end of time in Matthew 10, 21 and 22. Here's what Jesus says about some aspects, some experiences of parenting here. He says, brother will betray brother to death and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. So you can be a successful parent and your children have you killed, right? So there's no guarantee. Right now I know of a well-known pastor, famous pastor, whose name you would know if I called his name, who has two sons, both raised in the Lord, in the same environment. They're both adults now under the same teaching. One is now in ministry, and the other is always maligning in social media the Christian faith. Always in rebellion against it. So pray for your children, love them, teach them, and ultimately entrust their souls to the sovereign Lord and his work in their lives. Would you stand with me as we pray, and then we'll have a brief moment of commitment. Father, thank you for... This service has been packed full, Lord, with a lot of good things. And as we, Lord, come to this time of commitment, help us to, Father, make the commitments we need to. Encourage every parent in this room. Bless them and help them along the way. Help this church to be the resource and encouragement you'd have us to be. Continue to build us. Be the family believers here that truly nurtures each other along and teaches and loves all these children you bring, Lord, to this church. I pray you'd encourage every mom and dad in this room. I pray you'd encourage every single parent, Lord, who is having to bear this by themselves without a mate. Just bless them today. Help them to feel your presence, your power, and your love in their lives. Lord, we pray now as we sing that you'd help those who are parents to commit as we sing to be the best Christian parent they can be. Have commitments to be made, Lord, for people to raise their kids in a close-knit community of believers the best they can find. And Lord, I pray that you just um, help them know that there is that is here in this church with so many wonderful families, both couples and single parents find encouragement and strength. Unite them here if that's your will. 
Help others to take next steps in baptism or church membership. Whatever you may be leading, we pray now, Lord, as we sing, that you would accomplish all that you want and help these truths ring loud in our ears and our minds and our hearts today. In Jesus' name. Why? 
white as snow. Thank you for your time. We'll have some folks I'm going to present to you in just a moment. Remember, there are no uh, evening services either on the campus or online tonight, so you can be with your moms. If you're a first-time guest, hope you'll go by our bookstore back here. We have a gift we'd like to share with you as you part today, and I think there's some uh, small token, a gift for the moms as you leave today uh, as well. All right, we first have coming this morning, uh, Matt and Emily Long, and they're going to be moving uh, their membership. They both have trusted Christ and followed him in baptism. She is a stay-at-home mom. They have two children, Blakely, who is six, and Emerson is three, and Matt uh, works. He's a contractor, and so, did I get that right? And so, if you can receive them today and how they're being presented, would you let that be known by saying Amen. We also have come in this morning, Jacob and Trish uh, Bolin. It's her son, Andrew. He's 11. He's a student at uh, no, Glenview. Glenview Middle School. Some of you teachers out there might know him. But anyway, this is Jacob and Trish Bolin, and uh, they're coming today. Uh, they both have trusted Christ as Savior and Lord. She'll be following Jesus in baptism for the first time, and he'll be following uh, by immersion for the first time. Uh, she works in real estate with uh, Carolina Properties. Is that right? And he is a captain with the um, sheriff's department here uh, in Anderson County. And so we appreciate his service. So if you can receive them and how they're being presented today, would you also let that be known by saying amen. amen. I know you want to come by and welcome them today. Hope you have a great rest of the day. God bless you. And uh, hope you have a, a great Mother's Day. <laughs> 